We are fond of saying that the Bible has all the answers. And that is certainly correct. The text of the Bible sets us in a reality that is corresponding to who we were created to be and who God is. But the Bible also has all the questions. Many of them that we would just as soon never ask and some of which we would spend the rest of our lives trying to dodge. The Bible is a most comforting book, but it is also a most discomforting book. Eat this book, and it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth, but a a bitter taste in your stomach. You can't reduce this book to what you can handle. You can't domesticate this book to what you're comfortable with. And you can't make it a toy poodle or something you can train to obey your commands. That is the words of Eugene Peterson in a book called simply Eat This Book. And and it's interesting because you you hear that, and that's sort of just like our response to it. And then you come to the Bible, and the Bible thinks very highly of itself. Okay? If you get in the book of Psalms, you have David who writes the longest chapter in the whole Bible simply praising what the Bible is. And this is what he writes. And I, I I want you to think this whole time, like, is this my perspective? When I hear the words of David... By the end of this, I'm going to read about 10 verses here, and you're going to be pumped. You're going to be like, let's do it. Get your Bibles, right? This is what he says. He says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I rejoice in following your word as one rejoices in great riches. I delight in your decrees. I don't neglect your word. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my Counselor, I run in the path of your commands because you have set my heart free. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. How I long for your precepts. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I delight in your commands because I love them. I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and find comfort in them. The law of your mouth is better than a thousand pieces of gold and silver. My soul faints with longing for your salvation. I have put my hope in your word. Oh, Lord, I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. Oh, Lord, I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. I want to be like David. (laughs) And I think I could probably speak in such a way where we could get to the end of this time and all of you guys could be super jazzed to pick up your Bibles and join us in a year of reading through the Bible together. But in doing that, I know, and I was, I was reminded as I read this week through some of what you guys were reading this week, uh, Genesis, we're up to about verse, or chapter 15, or up to Matthew 5, as I read that, I realized that oftentimes when I preach or when I talk about the Bible, you guys could probably go home and get super excited, and you'll open your Bibles, and you'll be like, you're like, I think I have a different edition. <laughs> why is that? Right? You'll be like, why does he keep mentioning crazy names I don't understand and have no relationship to me? Right? We're, we're full of curiosity and questions. When we go to the Bible, it might not be the liberating experience that you feel like you're promised when you hear us preach on a Sunday morning. Okay? I'm just going to be honest. 
right? You can come and, and we'll be talking about the Bible and we'll say, just go read it, listen, and you'll go and be like, <laughs> and, and you'll sit there wondering, wh- why is this so challenging for me when, when this is where we get uh, our word, our authority about who God is? Why is that so challenging? And so my goal for today is to help equip you to get into the Bible. The title of today's sermon is simply How to Read the Bible. Because I realize often when we get into the Bible, it is like a foreign jungle that we feel is full of dangerous things. And maybe we find out that indeed it is. So I'm going to talk about four hindrances and then a couple of helps in reading the Bible. Um, These four hindrances are this. I'm going to name them, and then we're going to go through and look at them one at a time. And just to help you guys, um, especially, see, we're like making division here, especially you who are going through the Bible reading plan, okay? So if you need one of those, they are on the table over there. Shameless plug. So um, I'm going to look at areas of Genesis, especially Genesis 1 through 12, where you might have got hung up and say, this is, I think, what's going on. And maybe this will help us as we, as we do this adventure together, okay? So, four hindrances when we read the Bible are this. Apparent irrelevance, right? That some of the Bible just seems incredibly irrelevant to us, right? Second is challenging content. Things you read and you're like, I don't like that, Right? That's hard to see. That's hard to hear. That's hard to hear about God being involved in that, right? Challenging content. The third is an unfamiliar perspective, right? You're dropped into a different culture, a different time. You're not used to seeing things from God's view. You're used to seeing things from your view, right? Um, And the third is spiritual blindness. So, you guys ready for this? Just give me a little one of these. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we got, we got a fist pump back there. One. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. we have two from the same person. Okay, that's great. <clears throat> okay, apparent irrelevances. First, what does this have to do with me? Why should I care? Why does this matter? Okay. This can come from a lot of different angles, but I think one of the angles we can come at this is when you open the Bible, I realize that you as a person come with a lot of stuff going on in your life already, right? None of you probably are just like plush, like you already got a couple million in the bank, you're just sitting there going like, teach me, right? Um, And so it can seem irrelevant because all of a sudden you drop into Genesis 1, and it's like, okay, (laughs) we got light. (laughs) Okay, we've got water, (laughs) This is good, right? Oh, oh, we've got sky now, right? And as you go through it, you're like, Why, how does this apply to me, right? How is this meaningful to my situation? And it seems irrelevant. Hasn't science already closed the door on this, right? Haven't we figured that out already? And so it seems irrelevant. Um, and if you, if you read through Genesis 1 through 12, right, you do. You've got creation story. You've got um, talking animals, right? You have a lot of crazy things. You got languages being confused. You have long lists of people, right? You got chapters of pure names, okay? 
And let me tell you, going to seminary, they make fun of that there also, right? It's not helpful <laughs> when you read long list of names and you're like, okay, I, you know, like you're not even going to name your children those names. And so, so why are they there? Okay. I'm not even going to answer these yet. I'm just going to give you the challenges. Okay. Uh, the second is challenging content. Things that make you uncomfortable. You feel as though you can be reading the Bible, and, and this happens to me still, okay? You can be reading the Bible, and you get to something like Genesis chapter 7, okay? If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. You don't have to. Genesis chapter 7, you've already seen God talk about the flood. You've seen Noah chosen. And then in Genesis chapter 7, Starting in verse 17, it just has a real clear description of what's going on here. And it says, For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and the waters increased, and they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly, um, and all the mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to the depths of 20 feet. And then verse 21, this is a challenging one, right? Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Okay? And so you read things like that, right? You get into the Bible, and, and if, if I just, right, we, we preach, and a lot of times, right, we'll, we'll navigate terrain for you and just be like, here you go, this is how you interpret it. But if you go to the Bible yourself and you read that, and all of a sudden, you can look at God and say, I don't feel like I know you anymore. I've been located somewhere here, and it says, God is love. And then, and then you get to Genesis 7, and you see God executing judgment on the world, okay? And you go, that, that isn't the God I know. How do, you, how do you navigate that very uncomfortable situation? You go to Genesis 9, right? Uh, Genesis 9, you have Noah, who God saved because Noah was a righteous man. And here you have him plant a vineyard, you have him make wine, and you have him get drunk and lay out naked. Right? That's in the Bible. I'm not making these stories. And, and you read that, and you're like, I am not encouraged by that. Right? You hear that, and you're not like, like let's write a song. Let's sing about, no. You don't. Why? Because that's challenging content. You don't like looking at that. <laughs> He's no man naked. <laughs> Let's be honest. And, and so you get to that, and, and all of a sudden, maybe the view you had of God, and you enter the Bible, and you're going, this feels a lot like Bremerton. Like, this doesn't feel holy. And so the Bible all of a sudden becomes a book that isn't, um, isn't safe. Like maybe you once thought it was. You have Abraham, uh, just a couple chapters later, who lies about his wife. So he doesn't get harmed, right? He's just like, yeah, sure, she's my sister. <laughs> Bad idea. Not good marriage advice, right? Um, and and if, you, if you enter this and you're like, what does this have to do with my marriage? And that's just what you read? It might severely confuse you. So, so challenging content. Number two, hindrances when you enter the Bible. Okay? 
Are we all on the same page? Um, <laughs> that's here. Third challenging thing is it's an unfamiliar perspective. We as people living in the 21st century, I want to chat really quick about the way we, we think when we enter the Bible, and that is that by and large, we approach the Bible um, living in a world that doesn't acknowledge the existence of God. And, and for the most part, maybe often in our lives, we don't acknowledge or live as though God is real. Right? On top of that, we don't expect much from him, and the world revolves around us. Okay? I'm just paint with, painting with broad brushstrokes here, okay? We live in a world, and, and even being raised in a Christian home, I don't have, like, one up, right? I grew up in a world where, since I lived in society, right, since I didn't live in a fallout shelter, I live in a world that doesn't really let God in. Um, the best way to describe this is if you've watched a movie, which I'm assuming all of you have, when you watch a movie, you enter a world where the director governs everything, right? Literally, you watch a movie, and that's a godless world. Why? Because the director's calling all the shots. He is, he is making everything so you come out with a certain uh, thought, feeling, right? You watch a romance. There's going to be turmoil, but you're going to end by going, oh, yes, right? I don't do that. You, you watch a horror, and, and they, will, they will make it all so you want to, you know, get scared the whole time. There's a lot of ways to describe that, right? You watch a thriller, and you're going to be on the edge of your seat the whole time because, because they are governing that. And, and the truth is, the way we view this world being run is as if there is no input from God. We see ourselves at the center, and so when we enter the Bible, and the Bible starts by saying, in the beginning, God. That rubs you the wrong way, simply because you live in the 21st century. Right? In the beginning, God, and you're like, since when? <laughs> well, since the beginning, okay? <laughs> and, and you have been welcomed into this world, but, but the fact is, you don't care about the content of this. You go to this and want the content to conform to you. Okay? And so we're challenged by the perspective of it all being about God. Okay? What would be a lot easier if we read a self-help book, which it was all about you? And then you'd flip through the pages and find what you wanted and be able to just work that. And sadly, a lot of times we open the Bible and we are confronted and we don't like it. And so we flip to somewhere where, where it's going to be okay. Right? Where God isn't in charge, where God isn't holding people accountable for living in his world. Okay? You live in his world. <laughs> you don't live in your world. And so we're challenged by that perspective immensely. And when we enter the Bible, a lot of it we just... Uh, 
we don't align with, with our thinking, okay? That's just number three, okay? We have one more. (laughs) And perhaps the most challenging of them all, and that is spiritual blindness. No one approaches the Bible as an unbiased observer. We'd like to think we are, right? If you talk to anyone about anything these days, and if they don't know something about it, if it has to do with the Bible, you know what they're going to bring up? Free will. <laughs> We're like, well, God just wants us to choose. <laughs> okay, uh, you don't have free will. Um, just took that away from you. You enter the Bible as a severely biased person, biased against God, okay? So you don't approach the Bible or like, do I like him or not? You don't, okay? Because if you, if you understood who he is, his sovereignty, right, his greatness, his might, his holiness, right, that, that isn't something that is attractive to us. In Romans 1, uh, it says it very clearly. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men, birds, animals, and reptiles. So, so although maybe we see in even the world, or we open the Bible, when we see God's greatness, his holiness, his power, we are repulsed by that. And so there's a spiritual blindness that we have when we enter the Bible, Right? And that, that spiritual blindness is equated to deadness, right? That we're not alive to the Bible because we are dead to it. Um, you see this in the scripture. You see this right when you open up to Genesis 1, right? And you have, you have Adam and Eve, who maybe were the only ones with free will, right? And, and yet, yet, they had something going against them. And that, that was, they had temptation, right? And temptation is real. It exists. It wasn't only there for them. It's there for you. So when you go to the Bible, it's not just you, safe, Approaching the word, but if you have spiritual hunger, there is an adversary that wishes you never to taste and see that the Lord is good. Okay? And so, as they were tempted and gave into that temptation, that goes on, and you see the story of Cain, right? Cain, who takes the life of his brother Abel. We, we don't have to move beyond chapter 4 of the whole Bible before we get the first murder, right? And the way that's explained is, in chapter 4, verse 7, God is talking to Cain before he makes this decision. It says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, um, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your, desor- and it de- at your door and it desires to master you, Right? So is there, there's an adversary desiring to master you, against you, and against you understanding the words that are in this book. So, there's a lot stacked against you. Simply to open <laughs> the Bible. Okay? And so, 
though there's a lot going on there, I hope that for some of you, even before we get to the helps, you might be a little comforted knowing that you're not crazy when you enter the Bible, and it's hard. Right? For maybe some of you who, who have tried time and time again to read through the Bible, and you can't make it. But you're not alone. This is a hard book. And yet, remember what David said. I run on the path of your commands because you have set me free. He also says, he says, Lord, open my eyes so I might see wonderful things in your word. And and that's going to be our prayer as we enter this time of helps. What will help us? God, as we we pray, and open my eyes, open my eyes, because I want to see the wonderful things here, right? I don't want to just keep making things up, right? I don't want to keep living by my word, the way I view the world, because it's broken, and I know that, but I don't know how to conform, I don't know how to be transformed so I see the world the way you do, God, because I open the Bible, and it's crazy. So what helps us? A couple helps. The first is that the Bible is God's story. The Bible is God's story. And this, this is one of the things that has been singularly the most helpful thing in reading the Bible for me, is that oftentimes when we parachute into the Bible on this mission to like rescue our faith and we open up to somewhere in Lamentations and we're like, oh, they're more depressed than I am, right? And, and, and you're there what helps you? <laughs> that the, the Bible isn't a, a hundred, a thousand different stories, all with moral themes for you to pick one. Oh, here's a moral theme. I'm going to try to live by this. No, the Bible as a whole is telling one story. All the little ones, all the ones that might be confusing, you, you, you come into a place like Judges, right? And you see people getting abused in ways that are horrific, right? That, that, that civilization has turned in on itself and the Bible is just recording what's going on and you're like, what is happening? And then you get to the end of Judges and it says, and people just did whatever was right in their own eyes, right? And you see this playing out and you're like, how do I even understand this? And you understand this because it isn't telling one story, All the Bible is contributing, all the Bible is contributing to one story, and that is the story of God. A God who created you to be in relationship with himself, and has made a way to come back to himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And the whole Bible, once you begin seeing it in this perspective, right, that that it it is tracking towards Jesus, if you're in the Old Testament, or, or reminding us of Jesus if you're in the New Testament, right? That there's this past, present, future sense to the whole Bible, right? That you're never just in one place, right? But you're meant to get glimpses of the whole story. If you go to Luke, Jesus explains this to a couple guys. After he rose from the dead, he's walking with these, uh, these two people on the road to Emmaus. And they're grieving because they just thought Jesus died. And they didn't get that... That the story is bigger than that. The story didn't end there. They were caught in a little piece of it. 
And this is what Jesus says in, in chapter 24, verse 25. He says, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter glory? And be, get this, this is the coolest thing. I wish we had like a little recorder on him. Because it says, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. Right? What was in all the scripture concerning himself. So Jesus just whips out his scroll and he's like, see Genesis? Let me show you myself in Genesis. Right? And, and still, I know I'm telling you guys this, but you're like, oh, I guarantee you this doesn't apply. Right? whether that's something challenging or whether that's a genealogy, but then you come to Matthew 1 and you see a genealogy and you're like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> right? But the story, that history is a big story, a big story of God that he is telling. And if we just try to locate ourselves, I apply this to your own story, okay? We get tunnel vision. We get detail-oriented, Okay, uh, let me use an example. Uh, if you have been in a wedding, or if you have been around, okay, not to stereotype brides, but they're kind of stereotype. They draw it to themselves, okay? Um, they, they, they can get so detail-oriented, right? Those aren't the flowers I wanted, right? That you're like, okay, remember why you're doing this, Right? And we, we get that in our lives, whether it's pain or suffering or joy, right? <laughs> and we're like that bride who so narrows in on something, the whole point of it is lost. Right? And that's, that's what it's like when we get so detail-oriented in the Bible, when we get to the Tower of Babel and we're like, <sighs> right? And God's like, the Tower of Babel's not the point. Don't get caught up there. Keep reading. I'm showing you a bigger story. I'm showing you myself, okay? The Bible is not a story about you. It's a story about God. Um, Genesis 1.1. I'm just going to tie this together really quick. So we have Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, And we get that, and it gives us the context. Key player, God, right? Then you turn to, to John 1, 1, and it makes the story just a little clearer, right? As, as this whole story is working together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, so Jesus was there. <laughs> Speaking, interacting, in relationship. Hebrews 1 even ties those two verses together and explaining in further detail um, the way Jesus fits together in the creation with the prophets. Um, Hebrews 1 says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days he spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus, (laughs) sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
You just drop into Genesis, you don't get that perspective, right? (laughs) It's this whole testimony of Scripture that's working together to show you what? God. But the incredible thing in this (laughs) is that the book was written for us to come to know him. So it's about God, but it includes you. Right? So as you read it, you can come to understand and know who he is. That should just blow you away. Point two, that the Bible is a book that is inspired. What do I mean by this? The Bible is a book that is inspired. What I mean is it's not a textbook. If you've been in school... You've probably had this precious possession given to you by the school, entrusted to you to keep safe, to not ding any of the edges or rip the pages. A textbook, okay? And you can take that textbook, and the purpose of that is to bestow upon you timeless knowledge, right? And, and you don't need the author of that textbook sitting by you going like, did you get it? What about this one, right? Do you need help with that problem? Right? Um, that might be helpful, but that's not, what, that's not what's going on with the textbook, right? And, and if you treat the Bible like a textbook where you, you have it and you're like, okay, I just need to like, like Matrix, just like get knowledge from this, that's not going to be helpful to you. Because the Bible is the inspired word of God, which means if it's just sitting on a shelf... It's not doing you and nobody no good, right? But if it is in your hands and the spirit of man is humbly receiving from the spirit of God, that book will come alive to you and transform your life. Okay? In 2 Timothy, it says, All scripture is God-breathed, inspired, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In 2 Timothy, it says, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you would do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy, this book, never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right? This book is inspired because those who wrote it, they wrote in their, their native tongue. Right? They wrote with their personality, but they wrote to communicate what God wanted to communicate to you. And that is powerful. In Psalm 19, it talks about just the transformation that happens when you take the word of God. It says it refreshes you, right? And that it doesn't just refresh you because you get a new piece of information to tuck away and take out on a rainy day. It's because God himself is communicating to you and drawing you into a relationship as you open this book and humbly sit before it. That's the promise of this, right? Is that it's inspired. The last uh, helpful piece is that, that the Bible is a community book. And this is so, so important. You don't solo into this thing, right? You're not the first one that's ever read the Bible. 
Sometimes you pretend like you are, and you're like, has no one read this? This is ridiculous, right? No, people have read this for a long time, okay? But the fact that the Bible is a community book means two things to me. Both the Bible is given to a community, came, I guess I would say came from a community and to a community. So it came from a community, meaning this, that the Bible is unique among all other books that claim to be from God in this way, that it is a community book, right? That the Bible was written over 1,600 years, 1,600 years, and it contained 66 books by 40 different authors. You have political leaders, fishermen, herdsmen, military leaders. You have a cupbearer to a king. You have a doctor. You have a rabbi. You have a tax collector. You have all these people from, from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, right? Political backgrounds. You have people from all over the place. People from all, all different racial backgrounds, right? All contributing to this. All carried along by the Holy Spirit in the book we find today is the Bible. Right? This is... This is absolutely extraordinary. It was compiled not just from one place, but from all over the place, from Asia, Africa, Europe, right? Written in different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, right? That's this book, and you're like, this should be easier. Oh, be be thankful you have to read it in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, right? (laughs) You have to go back to Asia to read this. This is the most widely sold, read book printed book of all time. Be grateful (laughs) that it's not harder, (laughs) right? But it's a community because it comes from that community and that we can look over thousands of years of what godly men and women have read and understood about this book. And so when you read it and you come to Noah naked and you're like, people have read that before and they've written great things about it, right? You don't have to be alone in that. You can be in community and conversation, both with those writers, but with this community, right? As we're going through the year-long reading plan, um, me and my dad, are we're dedicated to blogging. We'll see about that, right? Uh, each week, um, and just helping through some parts that we're meditating through, right? Feel free to ask questions. Maybe you have someone who else is reading the Bible with you, and you can be like, did you see this? Do you get what's going on? And you begin piecing things together. You see, when, when God created, right? It's not just this mindless creation story, but all of a sudden you see meaning because you see that, that we as humanity were created in the image of God. And that means something. That you aren't just another animal, but you were made with the spirit to be in relationship with God. And that becomes life-giving. You're like, that's why I communicate different than my animals, right? And... And you start putting it together, and you start seeing the world as the way God intended you to see the world, right? You see the fall, but immediately you begin seeing the hope in Genesis 3.15, where it says that, that God himself will crush the serpent, right? Crush the deceiver, crush the one who tempts. And that, that shows you a Savior's coming, and so we're already looking forward to Jesus, right? Let that be helpful for you as you read the Bible. Don't get lost in the little details. Wow, this has been quite the adventure this morning, huh? So, how do we read the Bible? With all that, there's one last verse I'm going to leave you with. 
and that is in the book of Isaiah, which kind of falls smack dab in the middle. And this is what it says in the very end of Isaiah, chapter 66. God says simply this. He says, this is the one who, I'm, who I esteem, the one who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. So how do we read the Bible? With the hindrances, with the helps, glasses humbly. If you come to this book trying to prove yourself, exert yourself, if you come to it in haste, you will get nothing from it. What you must do is you must come humbly before God saying, teach me. Because as an inspired book, God gives an inspired book to inspired people, and he wants to inspire you with what you read. And you'll discover things that you never even thought, you never, you, you, what you never would think. But come to it humbly before God and say, teach me. Teach me in this seemingly obscure passage. Help me see you. Help me understand you. Because I go around... And I'd see the whole world through my, my perspective, and it isn't helping me, and it isn't helping anyone else. God, help me see this word through your perspective. Come to it humbly like that, and learn to talk with people about it. Learn to talk with each other about it. Learn to humbly offer what you've observed to one another. Sharpen each other. And that conversation will be so life-giving both to yourself, but to others, to this community, as we become a people of the word, right? That we learn not just to read it, but we learn to hear it. My dad this week has been so sick, he hasn't been able to read. And every time I've seen him, he says, man, Daniel, I can't read, but I'm listening to it. He listens to it through audio, and he says, it's been so cool to get it in that new way. If you can't read, listen to it. Talk about it, though, right? Be a part of that. Be a part of the community of men and women who have come to this book, run in the path of its commands, and have found freedom there. So, man, that's, that's our prayer for this church as we enter this new year and we read the Bible together. So pray with me, and then we'll sing. God, in your mercy, I pray that we will treat this book as precious, not just because it's another book, because you're telling us a story in it about yourself. And you don't leave out hard things, even though those hard things are very hard to read. God, give us eyes to see what you have for us in the word. Give us special things personally that we can bring back to the community and help strengthen that community by speaking the word to one another. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.